0: now going to turn to the regulation of midwives, what they're capable of and what they're allowed to do and where the gaps lie. Our next speaker is the Professor of Midwifery and Higher Degree Research, Director at Western Sydney University. She's a practicing midwife and has received 20 research grants and published more than 150 publications. Standing ovation please for Hannah Darlin, as described as the, probably the leading force promoting natural birth and midwife left care in Australia. Good to see you. Come on up. Thank you, everyone. And I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet today and paying my respects to Elders past and present. And I'd like to thank very much the organising committee for asking me to speak at this amazing conference. I'm a little bit nervous. There's a lot of you, so I'm going to do something to put myself at ease. Can you put up your hands if you're a midwife? Fabulous. I feel less nervous. Now, can you put up your hands if you've ever used a midwife, met a midwife, or known a midwife? (laughs) Fabulous. I'm not scared anymore. So, let's begin. So you might be wondering what my title is about, Midwives Reclaiming Their Heritage. What I want to do today is to take a trip through my own life to reflect a little bit about what has happened throughout history to midwives and I guess give a bit of understanding as to why you might find that we're getting very noisy and very vocal and sometimes we're a jolly big pain in the butt. So I'm hoping after today you embrace us and you walk alongside us. As I must say, the Nurses and Midwives Association, New South Wales Nurses and Midwives association has always done. We've been to many rallies together and um, it's been a wonderful collaboration. So I'm going to walk you through some stories. I've got lots of photos and anecdotes and I hope at the end it settles into something understandable for you. So this is my beginning. That's my mother and she is actually sitting on the roof of the real Nanata's house. Any of you watch Call the Midwife? Well, my mother was one of those called the midwives. In fact, on the very first day that she went to Nanata's house, which is actually St. Friedweid's mission, I don't know where to point, but I'm sure you can see the red brick building back here, she and her best friend Fiona knocked on the door, and it was opened by Jennifer Worth, who wrote the books. And many of her stories and Fiona's stories have now appeared in the series. And Fiona I took back a couple of years ago to go refind it, And after 50 years, she knocked on that door and we went inside. Amazing experience. So you could say I was born into midwifery royalty. I actually can never remember wanting to be anything other than a midwife, ever. And I still don't. That's me born. I was born in the country of Yemen. Now, you probably all know about Yemen for... Um, very sad reasons at the moment, with a terrible civil war. But I was born there. My mother was a midwife. She worked um, in in the villages, in the community. And this is me and my uh, younger brother. And you can see that I was born to fight... I've even got the fist curled at that point. I probably have just given him a slight punch in the side, and I've been told to behave myself. But I grew up in a country where women had to fight for recognition, for equality, for control over their bodies, control over their reproduction. So no wonder I turned into someone who has spent their entire life fighting for women's rights. And in fact, I begged and begged and begged to see my first birth. I was 10 years of age when I saw my first birth. And at 12, I got to help catch my next-door neighbor's baby in the top flat of a tiny little stone house. And I was captivated. And this is me going back um, about 12 years later to meet her. And they named her Hannah after me. So you can see I'm just, you know, what other option did I have but midwifery? At 15, I returned to Australia. Now, can you imagine someone who has grown up in the Middle East? Mother is English, father is Australian, surrounded by Dutch, German and Americans. My accent was out of this world, and people could not work out where I came from. I'd also been homeschooled, So I then went to Pennant Hills High School with 1,500 students, and boy, was I in for a wake-up call. But I never lost sight of my desire to end up being a midwife. I went along to Hornsby Hospital, and I was one of the last ever before the university training occurred. We used to call ourselves the last of the best. I don't agree with that anymore. We were the last of the best before the better came along. But that's us, yes, wearing veils. Probably gives you an idea of how old I really am. But nursing was fantastic because I got a husband. And he's he's actually in the room here at the moment, but probably being very embarrassed by being mentioned. This is me and Captain Von Trapp and our our sound of music um, experience nearly 32 years ago. Uh, So nursing was very kind to me, and gave me a husband, but my transition through nursing was clearly to get to midwifery. I do not regret my nursing training, but I would have done the B-Mid if it had been available to me. And I just want to give a little one slide on the facts around the B-MID because I know there's a lot of misinformation around the Bachelor of Midwifery. It is the main route of education in Canada, in New Zealand and in Europe. It started in Australia in 2000. It now has one of the highest ATARs of any entry university course. Do you know we are alongside game design, one of the most popular university courses. We still get 400 applications every year to our 40 places. It's heavily oversubscribed, and the countries with the best outcomes in the world have direct entry midwifery training. So I just want to put that out there, because I hear a lot of stuff coming back about how these people are not necessarily going to provide safe care. So I went to England. The moment I finished my nursing at Hornsby Hospital, I got on a plane. Actually, I'd met my husband. He thought he might induce me to stay. And I said, if you really love me, you'll wait. And he did. And I went to England. And this is my very first official catch, because, of course, I'd been dabbling unofficially. And I was absolutely and totally hooked. I was mesmerised by this profession. My clinical... Uh journey is really one of reclaiming my heritage. So if you remember rightly, I was, I was... My very first experiences of birth were in the community. They were in the homes. They were, you know, very much not a hospital experience. And when I went to England, I obviously did a um, hospital experience, but I did a lot of in the community. I did home births. I did domino births. Came back to Australia. And there were really so few options for midwives to practise fully and autonomously to the full scope of our practise. So for 20 years, I stuck it out, and I don't look at those years as being of any way lost. I learnt an enormous amount of expertise, and I am very grateful for it today. I worked as a clinical midwifery specialist, I worked as a clinical midwifery educator, and I went on then to become a clinical midwifery consultant over two um, large hospitals. But my heart was breaking. The dream of being with women, the dream of, of having that relationship, the dream of actually seeing birth work in non-institutionalised ways was clearly not happening in the organisations that I worked in. And so in 2000 and. Um, In 2008, I actually got offered an associate professor of midwifery in the University of Western Sydney, and I had never intended to be an academic. I, I, I really thought academics were people who sit in high towers and tell you what to do, but they really have no idea what they're doing. So, I today would say we need to have much more engaged academics. But in 2010, Um, At that time, I was the president of the Australian College of Midwives. We were in the midst of massive reforms that I'm going to tell you about in a minute. I did a massive U-turn. And I ended up getting my eligibility, getting my Medicare number, getting my prescribing number, going through, I cannot tell you how many hoops and obstacles to just call myself a midwife who could practice in her own right. And we set up Midwives at Sydney and Beyond with these four wonderful women, and we now have six of us and we actually catch half the home-birth babies in New South Wales as a group. And I've refound my soul, and I've reclaimed my heritage. Midwifery, as a profession, is a story of being orphaned, being adopted, and now we're reclaiming our heritage. And I'm going to explain what that means by taking you through a romp through history. Midwives are not better than or worse than nurses. They're just simply different. Are we all happy to accept that? Yeah. That doesn't threaten us. It's like being married. You don't expect to be the same. You expect to have different interests. That shouldn't threaten a marriage. That should actually make that marriage quite complementary. And I say everything I say with great love, because I've been a member of the Nurses and Midwives Association since 1992 and I continue to hold that even though I have a full-time academic role, and I'm very proud of it, and I'm also very grateful to the work that we've been able to do alongside the Nurses and Midwives Association to further the cause for women in this country. But I want to remind you of this. We are one of the oldest professions on earth. We are the original profession that enabled women to actually have a dro- job and sustain themselves independently. Yes, it was trading in eggs and chickens, and I'm glad those days are over, but midwives were embedded in the community. They were the wise woman, they birthed the babies, they laid out the bodies, they helped with the herbs and the cures. And all through history, as far back as you go, midwives have been highly respected and engaged in the community. Now. These two are fascinating to me, Shifra and Puha, And they're mentioned in the book of Exodus, if anyone knows the story of the book of Exodus, and Pharaoh trying to throw out the the, um, Israelites. And these midwives used to midwife the Hebrew women. And Pharaoh decided these Jews were getting too strong, so he called them up before him. Imagine how scary that would have been. You're a midwife, you're doing a job, you get a call from Pharaoh. He said to them, I want you to kill every male. You can let the girls live, but I want you to kill all the boys. So I imagine these two women nodded very humbly and terrified and went back to their job, and they did not do what he asked. They kept doing what their job was to do, which was to care for women and babies. And Herod called them back, and he said, didn't I give you an order? Didn't I tell you to kill the boys? What's going on? Um, And they said to him, look, our Hebrew women are not like your Egyptian women. They're vigorous. They give birth before we get there. These are the original midwife rebels. Anterior lip, anyone? Yeah, well, the midwives will get that joke. No, she's not fully dilated. It's an anterior lip. This is your ancient anterior lip. Now, the reason Herod bought this is because they used the term vigorous which actually was a very demeaning term and I likened the Jewish women to animals. And Herod, sorry, Pharaoh, who had all of these terrible assumptions, went, Oh, yeah, well, they are pretty crap, aren't they? And he actually let this go. So they were really, really clever in how they defended. Socrates' mother was one of the most famous midwives of all time in Greece. And in fact, Socrates explained his way of getting enlightenment to other people through the concept of being a midwife. His other one was to to be like a horsefly and to sting them awake. But his other analogy was to be like a midwife, to nurture and facilitate the awakening of the soul. So for many, many a millennia, midwives were highly respected and highly regarded. And then we had the Dark Ages. And during the Dark Ages, what happened was, of course, the witch burnings. And here's a fantastic line from the uh, witch hunters of Kramer and Sprenger from 1487. No one does more harm to the Catholic Church than midwives. Now, there's some debate in history as to exactly how many midwives were burnt at the stake. My theory behind it is probably not as much as people think, because what happened throughout history is the, the community defended, protected, and lied about midwives in order to protect them. However, if you look at what what was behind the witch hunt, what was the threat to the church, the threat was, number one, these were women, and they weren't ashamed of it. Number two, they were part of an organised underground of peasant women. Number three, they were healers, whose practice was actually based on empirical um, study. And number, number four, in the face of repressive fatalism of the church... These women held out hope in the world. Ring a bell, everyone. There's still this sort of oppression going on in many countries over midwifery. We've just had a midwife in Hungary who's been jailed and just released because she practiced as a midwife, and it's illegal for her to do that in Hungary. So, Today, we may no longer use fire, but we have other means of targeted oppression, and I really want to make you aware of this. We have increasing reporting of private midwives. Around half the private midwives in New South Wales have been reported to ARPRA. We have auditing last year, and I believe now it's going to be every year, of every single midwife in the nation who attended home birth. That has never before in history happened that you target one health professional because of where they work. You know, why has this not made much more of a ruckus than it did? We have poor workloads, we have poor recompense, we still have issues of distinguishing between nurses and midwives, and on and on it goes. So while the witch hunts were a very bad era, I would suggest we don't use fire today, but we use other means. So, midwives chuffed along, And then what happened? A couple of things that involved men. King Louis XIV decided he wanted to watch his mistresses and wives give birth. So he ordered that they be laid upon a bed. And he sat at the top so he could watch his own personal peep show. And that's the first time in history women were routinely laid down on a bed to give birth. The most unphysiological possible position for a woman to give birth. Do any of you do a poo on your back? Let me tell you, this is bigger than a poo. It takes a whole lot more effort, but it's the same sort of principles. And along came then the Chamberlain brothers who invented the very first forceps. And the Chamberlain brothers used to have them in a gilded box under lock and key, and they would blindfold everyone in the room, and they would cover everyone with drapes, and they'd come in in the dark, and they would usually kill the baby, or if the baby wasn't dead do some fairly horrendous things, and then they would go off. And for 100 years, they kept the force of secret. Ironically, they haven't changed much, which is a really interesting thing over time. And with this, medicine really started to come into childbirth. There were some very famous midwives of the time. Madame de Cordray was charged by the, by the King of France to go around the countryside, teaching midwives how to facilitate a slippery exit. I love the language of those days. Martha Ballard, very famous midwife in America as well. But the majority of midwives were illiterate. They had no voice. They were also from the, the working classes, and they were quickly drowned out by what happened later on in history. Perhaps the saddest thing is the famous black midwives in the US. The black midwives had the most unbelievable skill they were ridiculed, they were actually posters were put up in the public streets calling them ignorant, dirty, and incompetent. And when medicine came in to childbirth in America, many more babies and mothers were died, died than when these black midwives were there. And with their loss, we lost an amazing amount of history, history and heritage. Then in 1858, the UK Medical Act gave medicine autonomy and the right to define and control medical practice and limit other workers from practicing medicine. And the act actually brought together the physicians who were in the upper class and attended all of the posh ladies. It brought the surgeons together who were in the middle class, and then it brought the herbalists and the apocalypse who were in the lower class, and it made them together as a a discipline. However, may I remind you, this was not an empirically-based discipline. They would do things like write on the jaw the words of the Bible to cure toothache. They would prick a caterpillar and prick it in your body. Remember, this was not... In fact, the midwives who they actually moved out of the the domain, and this is where we got orphaned, had often studied and watched and handed down ancient knowledge and were far more evidence-based than medicine at that time. And we were up against it. Here is a textbook from 1848. She, the woman, has a head almost too small for intellect, but just big enough for love. I'd like to see someone say that to a woman today, hey? (laughs) There might be something else that gets attacked and made small, if they did. And in Australia, midwifery went largely unchallenged until the 1800s, 1880. GPs began to expand. They suddenly realized if we can have women, then we get the children, and then we get the full package. And so they started to again use the allegations of that they were dirty, and they started to slander them. Midwives were working class, they were uneducated, and so this gender-based oppression was real. Midwives were strongly, however, defended by the community when the doctors tried to take over. So, if that doesn't work, get an alliance. So at this time, nursing obviously was becoming a profession and a fantastic profession under a wonderful woman's leadership. It emerged, as you know, from the Crimean War. But both nursing and medicine colluded to actually stop those traditional taught midwives from actually entering into the workforce. They also made sure that you had to be a nurse before you became a midwife, thereby eradicating Many of those incredible knowledges and understandings. But I also look at this in another way. I see that nursing adopted us. They adopted us when we were almost shattered. So we were orphaned, we were adopted by nursing. The baby bonus is not a new thing. If you think Peter Costello is the first to come up with it, actually in 1912, Uh, A a five-pound baby bonus was introduced to increase the population, and it worked. But it was only allowed to be given to doctors, which meant, yet again, midwives got increasingly cut out of birth. Midwifery was, as a a separate profession, then became eradicated with the Midwives Regulation Bill that was passed in 19... with 1915, we actually had a midwives board. Did you know that? We're fighting for it again, but we had a midwives board. And the vocational midwives needed to be endorsed by doctors, and they often weren't. And then in 1916, there was a government inquiry, and they recommended only trained, medically supervised nurses or midwives provide care during birth. Nurses got their act in 1923. In 1928, a further act was passed abolishing the midwives board and bringing midwifery under nursing. The doctors chaired that board until the second half of the 20th century. And then the Private Hospitals Act meant that all the small midwife units soon got shut down because they were advised by medicine. So let's go forward 80 years. It's going to get better. This story is not so depressing. We got active. And we got strategic. And here's a picture of us in the New South Wales branch of the Australian College of Midwives. It's 2005, I know that because that's my daughter being held by my, my midwife as we plot and plan for the resurgence of midwifery. And what a resurgence we got. So in 2005, we got a promise from a very brilliant redhead. And I've got to say, I spent an hour with Julia Gillard after this. Photo was taken, and I have never come across a smarter woman. And it personally broke my heart the way she was treated. And I think it's a shame on our nation. But this is what she said when she came to speak to our conference in. Um, the New South Wales State Conference, I'd said to her advisor, be really nice if you mentioned that if Labour got in, you give Medicare to midwives. And this is what she said, I believe that midwives are the key healthcare professionals whose role in the care of women and their babies has yet to be fully realised in the Australian healthcare system. We need to realise the potential so that mothers have a real choice in birthing experience and their babies have the best start in life. This is one of the best investments that we can make in the future of our nation. And so we got active. We had the rallies in Canberra in 2007, we had more rallies in 2009, and Nicola Roxon came on the scene. She clanged some mighty symbols around the uh, slumbering maternity system. She said, I'm giving midwives Medicare, prescribing rights, insurance, etc. The Australian public weren't quite sure what was going on. Then the doctors got wind of it. They awakened from their slumber and all hell broke loose. So the solution, and I am going through a dance through history, is, well, let's make midwives collaborate with doctors. They can't have access to Medicare unless they have a collaborative arrangement. So in 2010, the fox got put in charge of the proverbial hen's house. Midwives can have Medicare, but... So eligible midwives and private midwifery has not expanded because we are still being oppressed by another professional group with direct competitive interests. ACCC, anyone? 2017, this was such a proud moment. The wonderful Westmead Hospital. Anyone here from Westmead Hospital? You rock. You rock. They gave us clinical privileging so that we can bring our women in and provide care and discharge them and hold our heads high. In every country where midwifery as a profession is strong, outcomes are better. They're better for mothers they're better for babies, they're better cost, and they're better quality. So why do we still have less than 8% of women in this country have continuity of care? Why do midwives still get disenfranchised and, and feel that they have so little right to hold up their heads high and practice autonomy? However, this is the good news. Midwifery is back on the map, back big time. The Lancet series in midwifery that was published in 2014 basically gave a world mandate to midwives as the answer for making massive inroads in care. Another publication came out from the Lancet again, too little, too late, too much, too soon. Midwives, again, were at the heart of this. The WHO um, mantra, really, on the case for midwifery, I'm going to read you some of that in a minute, the so WHO intrapartum guidelines came out, and the Cochrane Review showing that if you had a midwife you knew provide your care through pregnancy, during the birth and afterwards, you had less intervention, it costs less, the women were more satisfied, you had fewer babies dying, you had 24% reduction in preterm birth, you had more breastfeeding. What's so hard to get here? Why do we have such a difficult, in expanding to women, the best option of care. So I want to read you a few things out of the case for midwifery from the WHO that has just gone up online. 83% of all maternal deaths, stillbirths and newborn deaths could be averted with the full package of midwifery care. 62% of effective practices within the scope of midwifery show the importance of optimizing the normal processes of childbirth. 87% of services can be delivered by midwives when educated to international standards. 82% reduction in maternal mortality is possible with universal midwifery coverage. Midwifery is associated with the most efficient use of resources, improved outcomes when provided by midwives, educated, trained, licensed and regulated in international standards. Midwifery is the best by investment. Midwifery is associated with reduced maternal and neonatal morbidity, reduced interventions, improved psychosocial outcomes, increased birth spacing and contraceptive use. Midwifery should be considered a core part of universal health coverage. The quality of midwifery relates to the right of women and newborns to have the highest standard of care, and this is synonymous with midwifery. There are no adverse outcomes associated with midwifery-led care but significant benefits, and it is recommended that all women should have access to continuity of midwifery care. That's the WHO website. You can look it up, I do not lie, and there's more. And everyone is referenced to very high quality evidence. So, we're back on the map. Midwifery is reclaiming its heritage. We are now the person to go to for princesses. And here is Kate embracing her midwife at the Royal College of Obstetricians event. You can see the the president of, of RACOG looking back and thinking, I thought this was about us. But here's Kate embracing her midwife. And two prime ministers. And here is Jacinta Ardern. And don't we love her? Oh, I love that woman. The next, she is our, she, it's women like this that are our hope and our future for women actually, truly being on the stage in equality with men. I want to end with a poem I wrote for International Midwives' Day and it's called, Who Am I? And this painting was painted for me by my daughter last Christmas and she gave it to me and she said, Mum, this is what we fight for. I hold secrets no inquisition could extract. I hold worry in my head and hope in my heart. I mix with the mucus and blood that forms life. I understand surrender and the desire for control. I have learned to walk confidently in the fog and softly in the sunlight. I hold the hand that rocks the cradle and rules the world. I watch the universe created in an instant I haunt the endless first blush of dawn. I sit at the crossroads of life and death. I am the soft hand on a face. I am the smile through the tears. I am the arms absorbing the sweat of life. I am the watchful face. I am the watchful eye over a sorrowful face. I am the laughter of womanhood. I have been here since time awoke and I will be here when time closes. I have been paid poorly, treated badly, burnt at the stake, but I am still here. I am a midwife, thank you.